many things already are out there pooping rocks and making things grow and we eat them in salads. Like that's already how life works. Life's horrifying. Don't think about it too hard. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 261, part D. My name is Brian Prilliman. I'm one of your hosts. And I said that part due and it messed up my whole rhythm. It's uh, what you'd get for dunking on I me. Ne- I didn't dunk on you. Okay. Maybe it's just my overwhelming sense of guilt creeping up right at the beginning of the episode. It's it's fine. Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 261. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Perlman. And with me, as always on this evening, afternoon, morning drive to work, is the one and only Samantha Har. That's me. And this is our re-recording of the Forgotten Realms release notes episode. Uh, we had some technical difficulties with the recording, uh, the previous recording, and we're not able to publish it. And based on, we'll say, Twitter Twitter urgings, uh, we are re-recording the episode. Really, we had so much fun recording it the first time, we decided we simply must do it again. Sam, I'm going to apologize in advance. You're going to have to sit and listen to some of my old man wander stories for a second time. Well, I have ADHD so bad I don't remember any of them anyway. So aren't we a pair? I'll, I'm happy to listen to oh. them a second time. Even better. Well, see, there was an onion on my belt, which was the style at the time. <laughs> I do know that reference. I, like, never know your references. I knew that one. Okay. Okay, so this is going to be the Forgotten Realms release notes episode. We are going to touch slightly uh, as of today. They released some new information on the updated MTR and the updated IPG. So that is kind of a quick hit. We'll cover that at the very end. After we've gone through all of these cards and we're super, super tired, we will translate that ambivalence over to the MTR and the IPG. We're not just going through these cards. We are venturing into these cards, wouldn't you say? Yes. One might say it's... An adventure. God, that, that, that was, was terrible. That didn't work that, at all. Get the that heck was out of terrible. Here. Absolutely. I'm not. gonna try. I'm trying new jokes. Like all my A material was in the previous recording, so now I'm having to experiment with like got the B reel here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So Forgotten Realms has a new card type and a new keyword action. New card type is dungeon, and the keyword action is you are venturing into the dungeon. Uh, If you have seen the dungeon cards, they are very cool looking. They look, as one might expect, like dungeons. So some cards may tell you to venture into the dungeon. And what that means is that's where the dungeon card will come into play, not literally come into play, but figuratively. Um, A a dungeon is basically a flowchart. To venture into the dungeon means to advance to the next room of a dungeon if you are already in a dungeon. Or if you're not, um, you start into the dungeon then. These dungeon cards are pretty cool. The the three of them are Lost Mine of Fandelver, Dungeon of the Mad Mage, and Tomb of Annihilation. And all three of those are large modules that Wizards has put out for 5th edition. Uh, Lost Mine of Fandelver is a really well-written module for starting players. Uh, when we started running our game, this was the campaign that we were doing. That's right. That's right. Yeah, if you remember, like the cave entrance and the the goblin lair, and all that, all that good stuff. Uh, I mean, and and obviously, I was a lizard person. 
You were? You were? I seem to recall there was a random encounter with a bear, and you were fighting the bear for some rotting meat? I think... I think maybe the maybe the bear wanted my rotting meat. I, no, you know what? I bought yes. it at a discount yes. at the market because I was cheap. And I was like, I'm a lizard. I'll just eat it. And Yep. You bought the rotting meat. And it got meat, us into a fight with some bears. Some, <laughs> and you were fighting the bear over, over... You were both wanting the meat and you were both fighting over it. I was the prettiest lizard yep. in all of the land with my rotting meat. The second dungeon, Dungeon of the Mad Mage, is a... Very large, sprawling dungeon crawl, lots of rooms, and the dungeon card kind of reflects that with lots of rooms. And the Tomb of Annihilation is basically just kind of brutal on players in general, or on the characters, which, if you look at the mechanics on that dungeon, it's kind of brutal. Well, I don't think I'd go into a tomb that said Tomb of Annihilation. I think I would expect the results to be self-explanatory. Um Oh, so you're you're looking for like the the tomb of meh, <laughs> tomb of eh, tomb of happy fun things, tomb of puppies. Ooh, hold on, that's don't ask more questions. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. I'm just. I don't actually think I'm trying to express how I feel about tomb of puppies. That actually seems kind of sadder than it should be. What if they're really? Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> what? It's a tomb. Never mind. Never mind. Good point. Um, and those those are the only three dungeon cards printed right now. Um, do you suppose we should expect more in the future? I think so, right? Maybe? Uh, not, not for, for a while. while. I think they're really neat, and I'm excited to, to use them. Um, so you're supposed to use a venture marker to mark your progress through the dungeon. Um, when you advance the marker to the next room, there is a triggered ability, which is when you move your venture marker into this room, effect. Um... And that may not be apparent from reading the cards, so just keep in mind that those are all triggered abilities. Um, I've seen a lot of people using D&D minis and other really cute things as their venture markers. Um, so you have an effect telling you to venture, and you can respond to that ability. You have to respond before you know which dungeon the player is starting or what room they will go into if there's a choice, so keep that in mind. Um, when you move your venture marker to the last room of the dungeon and that room's ability resolves, or otherwise leaves the stack, the dungeon just pops out of existence and is now completed. And there are some cards that care specifically about completing dungeons. Yeah, so that's that's actually kind of neat in the sense that, let's say you are in the Lost Mine of Fandelver, and you've gone into the Last Mine of Fandelver, eh, the Temple of... Is that Dermot? Eh, we'll say Tomb of Annihilation, because that's got a one I can pronounce. It's got Cradle of the Death God is the last room. And that trigger goes on the stack, which tells you to create a, a legendary 4-4 Black God Horror Creature token. And that trigger gets countered. You still completed the Tomb of Annihilation, even though the triggered ability got countered. You did it. Yeah. And then it just disappears like Brigadoon. <laughs> yep. All right. If you venture again, you will either start a new dungeon or you can redo the one already finished. Um, I actually got that question a few times over pre-release. Yeah, you can you can go through the same dungeon. If you loved the Tomb of Annihilation the first time, you can love it the second time too. Masochist. I know, right? Um, interesting things about dungeons. Uh, the dungeon cards begin outside the game. They are only brought into the game by cards that say venture into the dungeon. And when brought into the game, they will go into the command zone, which makes them very uninteractable. Um, dungeon cards are not part of a deck or sideboard. They just kind of exist. Kind of like tokens, I guess. 
If you gain control of a creature with a venture ability, you can still venture even if you don't have dungeon cards. Please use dungeon cards. But you don't have to. Um, you can use... Well, this is if you gain control of a creature. Like, you're not playing a venture deck, and you gain control of a creature with venture. I, yes. Theoretically, but I, I just imagine someone showing up with a, a venture deck and being like, I left all my dungeons at home. Judge, will you stand next to me? Judge, do you have any dungeon tokens? No. Actually, I used to carry extra tokens for the relevant standard stuff whenever I when I did big events and I might have to start bringing dungeons just in case because I'm paranoid. And, and you did and you did that for the big events like GPs and stuff where there were often like lots of tokens around. But for like the the 150 200 person local events, those things get chewed up so quickly. It's nice and all. It's I don't know if it's sustainable. Much like my patience. Ooh. The player doing the venturing chooses the dungeon that will vent, that they will venture into. Chooses. They choose it. When a dungeon is completed and removed from the game, that's handled by a brand spanking new state-based action. Um, so tell us about flavor words, Brian. Flavor words are, well, like, there's Rocky Road, Vanilla. Mm. No, no. Just like there are flavor text, there are now flavor words. And flavor words are basically kind of like ability ability words because they're in italics. They have no rules meaning, but they kind of give a little bit of flavor, a little bit of context to the, to the ability. So we're going to talk about a card that says one card in example, as an example. It says you hear something on watch. Okay, this is a classic D&D situation is there's someone on watch. DM says, you know, roll a perception check. So, okay, I got a 15. And they're like, you hear, you hear something. And you're like, oh, oh no, what am I going to do? And you've got a choice. You can either rouse the party, which is uh, for you hear something on watch. You get to choose one, which is rouse the party. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. Or set off traps. This spell deals five damage to target attacking creature. Now, what they really needed to include was the third option, which is what my party typically does, which is either wander off into the darkness by your by yourself to check it out, or, eh, I ignore it until it becomes a problem. Uh, <laughs> which, granted, ignore it till it becomes a problem isn't a super exciting ability on a magic card. Maybe it ought to be, though. Hey. Yeah, additionally, they might have other cards that have an ability, and they give it a name that kind of reflects a classic D&D ability like Mage Hand or Invoke Duplicity or something like that. All right. Uh, next up. Rolling dice. So as you probably remember, in our last episode, we went pretty deep on the dice versus spin down debate. So go give that a listen if you haven't yet. So, but yeah, we are rolling dice in this set. Um, sort of similar to D&D in the sense that in, on some of these cards, the higher you roll, the better the outcome kind of thing, which is pretty neat. Um, let's use Swarming Goblins as an example. It's a, for four and a red, um, you get a creature goblin. It's a four, three. Um, when Swarming Goblins enters the battlefield, roll a d20. If you get one through nine, create a one, one red goblin creature token. Ten through 19, create two of those tokens. And 20, create three of those tokens. So here are sort of the rules that go along with that. The rules are going to define a die as having a specified number of faces. In Forgotten Realms Standard, it's always a d20. However, the commander cards um, do feature d4s and d12s. So keep an eye out for what kind of dice you are supposed to be using. 
Each die must have the correct number of equally likely outcomes, and the roll must be fair. The release notes say you can use digital substitutes, but given the electronic device policy, uh, I, is that one of the things that yeah. maybe changed today, or they maybe clarified today? Yeah, this is this was true. That that statement was true in our original recording, but is not true as of the MTR updates today. So, spo- spoilers for later in the episode. The spoilers. Yeah, you can use digital substitutes. I think that's kind of neat, but at, yeah. at all rails. Um, the, an ability that tells you to roll a die will also specify what to do with the result. Most of the time it will be in the form of a results table. That will be very obvious when you, when you see it on the card. An ability that tells you to roll a die and the results table are part of the same complex looking ability. There is no gap for players to respond between knowing the result of the roll and doing the effect. However, some abilities will say, choose a target, comma, roll a d20. In those cases, the target is chosen when the ability is put on the stack. And I, I, I guess power of persuasion here is an example of this. Mm-hmm. For two and a blue, you get a sorcery. Choose target creature and opponent controls, comma, then roll a d20. So yeah, that, that makes sense. It's very clear that that happens before you get down into the table below. So then roll a d20. 1 through 9, return it to its owner's hand. 10 through 19, its owner puts it on top or bottom of their library, and 20, gain control of it until end of your next turn. Some effects can modify the result of a die roll. Anything that cares about the quote-unquote result of the die roll is looking for the result post-modification. A few of the Forgotten Realms and Commander cards care about a quote-unquote natural result. These effects care about the number literally printed on the die without any additional modifiers. So in in D20... Or sorry, not in D20, in D&D, a natural 20 has a significance. So when you're attacking and you roll a natural 20, regardless of what your other modifiers are, is you automatically hit, and that's called a critical critical hit. So Bonus. you have to do additional damage. Right. There's... So a natural a natural twenty, you get a bonus. It's always a good thing. A twenty po- post modification could be called a dirty twenty, filthy, which is just a, a you know like you roll an eighteen and get plus two, so that's that would give you a dirty twenty. Indeed, um, two <laughs> cards: Pixie Guide slash Barbarian class. Replace rolling a die with rolling an extra die and ignoring the lowest roll. The ignored roll, just pretend it didn't happen. You ignore it. That's it. What do I do with the result? You ignore it. What about the card that cares about me rolling dice? You ignore it. it ignore it is fairly self-explanatory. You, you pretend you did not see it. Some effects will tell you to roll again. Um, use the same number and type of dice as the original roll. That roll will use the same set of possible outcomes. Cards that care about me rolling dice will care about these roll-agains. And Brian, I think you have a fun fact here you would like to share with our friends out there. Yep. Fact of the podcast. This is what you come here. I have not heard this addressed in any other podcast talking about Adventures in the Forgotten Realms cards and dice rolling. When playing plane chase, rolling the planar die is in fact rolling a die um, and can cause cards that care about dice rolling to trigger. However, effects that care about the numerical result will ignore the rolling of the planar die because the planar die has the planeswalker symbol on one side, the chaos symbol on another, and then four blank faces. It cannot yield a 
numerical result. But it's still rolling a dot. Very popular format, plain chase. I hope I run into this in the wild someday. If you ever run into this in the wild, please let us know all about it. Tag us on Twitter. Send us a message. We have a new type of card called Class. And this is a subtype of enchantment. And there is one for, I want to say, all the classes in D&D. I think, I think they're all covered. So we'll give you an example. Uh, the Barbarian class is for a single red mana. It is an enchantment class. And it has an ability that says if you would roll one or more dice, instead roll that many dice plus one and ignore the lowest roll. All right. Well, if you've played D&D a lot, you know that when you have a character class, you can level up your character class. So the card has the ability to advance to level two. So it has one and a red, go to level two. It says when you level two is when you roll one or more dice, target creature you control gets plus two plus oh and gains medicine till end of turn. And you can pay two and a red to go up to level three. It says creatures you control have haste. Now, this new enchantment type seems kind of similar to level up cards from, from several years ago. But whereas the level up cards had the level ability when you when you leveled up, the card text replaced essentially the previous text these are all additive so once you go to level two you have the level one and the level two ability once you get to level three you have all three abilities each class you start at level one just like DD, and then you pay the mana to go up to level two level three again just like DD. so each class has five abilities the big visible ones on the cards are the class abilities these can be static activated or triggered uh, then there are two level abilities, and these are what lets you go from level 1 to level 2 or level 2 to level 3. Each class starts with only the first class ability, and when the first level ability resolves, uh, when the first level ability resolves, the class gains the second class ability. Okay, Gaining a level is normally, uh, is a normal, sorry, gaining a level is a normal activated ability, goes on the stack and can be responded to as normal. Uh, it does go on as, as sorcery speed. Just like D&D, you can multi-class and have, and have different class cards out. Unlike D&D, you can multi-class into the same class and have multiple barbarian classes out or multiple bard classes out or multiple sorcerer classes out. Like, are you a bard? No. no. I'm a bard bard. Or a barbarian. A bard barbarian. Barian. A bard barian. Yeah, which I... I I have maybe made that character. Anyway, what's next? Next up, we have pack tactics. Is it a flavor word or an ability word? It's both. Let's take a look at Hobgoblin Captain for one and a red. Creature, Goblin Barbarian. It's a 3-1. It's got pack tactics. Whenever Hobgoblin Captain attacks, if you attacked with creatures with total power 6 or greater this combat... Hobgoblin Captain gains first strike until end of turn. Neat. So pack mm-hmm. tactics in D&D is the creature has advantage, which is a roll twice, if it's attacking with a buddy. I don't think I've ever actually run into that in any of my any campaigns I've ever been in. That's cool. What's that? It's typically on monsters. Oh, well, good darned. All right. Yeah. In magic, pack tactics is something, if something happens, okay, sorry, the. In MTG, pack tactics is that something happens if the creature attacks with maybe a buddy or buddies or maybe just itself. This is an intervening mm-hmm. if. I've seen those lately. 
You gotta have the six power when you finish turning creatures sideways for the trigger to go on the stack. Triggers that add power when a creature attacks won't count towards the power. But there are some cards that give a static bonus to attacking creatures, and that counts. Yeah. So if it's if it just says uh, attacking creatures get plus one, plus one, well, when you turn them sideways, they've got the plus one, plus one. But if it says whenever a creature you control attacks, it gets plus one, plus oh, wow. that's, that's a triggered ability and wouldn't factor into the total power six or greater for, for pack tactics to go on the stack. True, true, true. Um, also, if a creature's power is reduced... While the pack tactics trigger is on the stack, pack tactics might be removed from the stack instead of resolving, which would be a bummer, but gotta check. Yeah. Gotta keep it legal. Yep. So yeah, I think now we're moving on to the individual cards, individual notes, yes. and I think you've come up with a cool system here for us, Brian, just freshening things up a little bit. Yeah, so last time we recorded this, we just went, you know, Sam O'Brien, Sam O'Brien, Sam O'Brien. So to mix things up, we're going to go over the same list again. But since it's us kind of talking about the same thing, we're gonna we're gonna make this a little more interesting. Um, we we have our d twenties, and we're gonna roll for initiative. So we're gonna roll for each card, and high roll gets to do the card, or or we could actually do. How about high roll gets to decide who does the card? Nah, high roll does the card. High roll does the card. I don't know. I kind of like the ability to like. Like, send a really awful one your Oh, okay. All right. That's true. All right. So first card, you want to roll? Rolling. Ooh, I got a four. I got a 12. All right. So, uh, uh, Aser Eric, <laughs> or Acerarak. <laughs> you just dove right into Acerarak. <laughs> well, that was the way I pronounced it, like, way, way back. Like, I'm I'm a <sighs> Tomb of Horrors player. Like, I've been playing D&D for a long time, and I... In my head, I had to come up with a pronunciation for it. Well, now I'm just going to think uh, oh, think his name is Eric forever. There's Eric. Um, so, Acerarak, the Archlich, two and a black, legendary creature, zombie wizard, 5-5. Five, five. Uh, when Aser Eric, the Archlich, enters the battlefield, if you haven't completed Tomb of Annihilation, return an Acerarak, the Archlich, to its owner's hand and venture into the dungeon. When Aser Eric the Arch Lich attacks for each opponent, you create a 2-2 black zombie creature token unless that player sacrifices a creature. Okay, so the first ability has another intervening if clause. So when Aser Eric enters the battlefield, if you haven't completed Tomb of Annihilation, uh, it's going to go on the stack. If you have completed the Tomb of Annihilation, it's not going to go on the stack at all. That ability is not going to go on the stack at all. It is possible that when this card enters the battlefield, you have not completed the Tomb of Annihilation, but... Before it resolves, you have completed the Tomb of Annihilation. If that happens, you won't return Acerarak to its owner's hand either. If uh, Acerarak is no longer on the battlefield when the trigger resolves and you haven't completed Tomb of Annihilation, you will still venture into the dungeon. You do not have to venture into Tomb of Annihilation. You can venture into any old dungeon you feel like nice. if you haven't already started one. In Two-Headed Giant or EDH, where you have multiple opponents, each opponent is going to decide in turn order if they will or won't sacrifice a creature, and then what creature they will sacrifice. So each opponent will get to know the previous opponent's choice, and then all the creatures will be sacrificed simultaneously. So when you're choosing, you get to know all the choices that were made previous to you making your choice, but then all the creatures are sacrificed at the same time. All right. Next up. Rolling for Asmodeus. Yep. I got a nat 20. 
Hey. I got a 15. All right. So that means you get to do the next two. No. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's go for it. Is it Asmodeus or Asmodeus? Like Amadeus? As- Asmodeus? As, you know, Asmodeus. Whichever. The Archfiend. Four black black for a legendary creature devil god. He's a 6-6. Six, six. Binding contract. If you would draw a card, exile the top card of your library face down instead. Now we've got two activated abilities here. First one is black, black, black. Draw seven cards. Second one is for just black. Return all cards exiled with Asmodeus, the Archfiend, to their owner's hand and you lose that much life. Spooky. (laughs) So binding contract applies to your normal draws as well as the draw seven. So don't forget that. Um, If a card is exiled face down, like with Asmodeus, and no player has been given permission to look at them, no one gets to know what the exiled cards are. So no peeking. If your library is empty, you (coughs) didn't draw from an empty library, so you won't lose the game that way. That's a replacement effect. Walking on thin ice there. That makes me nervous. (laughs) And yes, you can bounce Asmodeus with the draw seven ability on the stack, and get the cards. Just don't blink them, because the new Asmodeus binding contract will then apply. Also, any cards exiled with previous Asmodeus's Modi Asmodians <laughs> are not accept- are not accessible by the new Asmodeus's last ability. So there. Yep. All right. <laughs> okay. Let's roll. Roll for some bard class. I got a seventeen. I'm gonna roll again. I've been getting the same number too many. I got a three. Wait a wait a minute. What do you it? get to decide? You won. Remember, you get to decide. Are we just gonna skip over that? You said I've been rolling the same number too many times. <laughs> well, I mean, I just, I I, I figured what I was just. A I, I was roll- no, no. What happened was, is I had one of those. Bi- I had I have this giant golf ball sized d twenty that lights up when you get a natural twenty, and I'm just kind of dropping it on the play mat. And so you're doing the thing you're not supposed to do with spin downs. I see. I see how right, it is. I think right, you need to tell right. our folks about bard class. No, so I so I got a proper properly sized D20 and actually rolled it against my mouse. So I was meh. Okay, fine, fine. I'll do bard class. <laughs> fine. Uh, bard class is an enchantment class for a red and a green. The level one ability is legendary creatures you control enter the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on them. All right. For red and a green, you can level up to level two. Uh, Legendary spells you cast cost red-green less to cast. This effect reduces only the amount of colored mana you pay. And then the level three ability is three red-green. Whenever you cast a legendary spell, exile the top two cards of your library. You may play them this turn. All right, so... Um, multiple bard classes, uh, if you have more than one bard class, uh, each legendary creature will, each legendary creature will enter the battlefield with the addition, with the, with that many plus one, plus one counters. Because the ability is it enters the battlefield with an additional plus one, plus one counter. So if you have three bard classes, you're going to get three. Um, the level two ability reduces the colored mana cost. It does not pay for generic mana. So if something costs, uh, two and a green, it will reduce the green and you still have to pay two colorless. For its th- level three ability that says, you know, exile the top two cards, you may play them this turn. If you don't play those exiled cards from the level three ability that turn, they're going to stay exiled permanently. Okay. If you exile a modal double face card with the level three ability, you can play either side. If the back is a land, 
you may play it uh, only using the rules for playing for playing a land, um, which means in this particular context, you can only play a land during your turn, and you can only play a land. You can only play a land uh, if you haven't already played one. Now, here's a distinction. This says you may play them this turn because this is giving you a permission to to do that this turn. Um, the norm the normal timing rules for playing a land come into play. If this didn't have that, it just said you may you may play them. So it didn't say this turn. It just says you may play those cards. Then you could, in theory, play a land outside the main phases with the sorcery. You know, with the sorcery timing. You could just plop, put a land down into play as as resolving this ability. Still, you can't play a land during your opponent's turn, and you can't play a land if you've already played a land this turn. Okay? Makes sense. Clear as mud? That makes sense. All right. Let's roll them up. Roll for some blink dog. I got me as a 19. I got me a 5. You got a 5. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to make you talk about phasing. <laughs> Oh, throwing me the phasing card. All right, so Blink Dog is a two and a white. It is a creature dog, as one may expect. Um, It's a 1-1. It has double strike, and it has teleport, which is an activated ability. Three and a white. Blink Dog phases out. So let's talk about phasing. Um, Short story, treat things that are phased out as though they don't exist. They don't leave the battlefield. They don't trigger. Their static abilities don't do anything. They just aren't there. Um, I think the old the old sort of thing people say about phasing is just put a coffee cup over it. That is what we have said in the past. I think that's yes. what what people tend to say about that. Yeah, it's just you don't see it for a that's turn. The judge ca- the judge cast recommended method. When an object phases out, it takes all its auras and equipment and fortifications with it. They stay attached and will come back when the object phases back in. Permanents phase at the very beginning of the untap step before you even untap. Very first thing. They are considered to have been under your control since the beginning of your turn, so they can attack and tap. Um, if If an opponent gains control of your blink dog, activates its teleport ability, and the duration of the control change effect expires before it phases in, blink dog phases in under your control as that opponent's next untap step begins. If... Yep. Neat. The old switcheroo. All right. Let's roll it up. Got a five. five. Oh, oh! Now what? Well, um, now we check to see who has the highest decks. No, we just roll again. Rolling again. All right. I got a four. A f- three. Oh! <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll do celestial unicorn. All right. I will do this. Celestial unicorn is two and a white creature unicorn. Again, as one might expect, it is a three two. Whenever you gain life. Put a plus one, plus one counter on Celestial Unicorn. Neat. In combat, if you gain life at the same time Celestial Unicorn is dealt lethal damage, it will die before the counter is put on the creature. Womp womp. This trigger will trigger once per life gain event, not once for each life gained. Two creatures dealing damage with lifelink is considered two separate life gain events. Yep. Yeah. Keep that in mind when you're doing your doing your planning. And the same, uh, the same thing holds for cleric class, which is uh, the level has a level two ability, which is nearly identical to the celestial unicorn. Ah, uh, yeah, the uh, level two ability for three and a white is whenever you gain life, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. So yeah, yeah. same yep. kind of thing going on. 
All right. Rolling. Ooh, a natural one. 17. I actually like this. I should, might should make you go again just so you can keep all doing right, it all. Right. No. No, no, no. I got it. I got it. Clever Conjurer for two and a blue. This is a 2-3 gnome wizard. Has flavor word Mage Hand. And the actual ability is tap, colon, untapped target permanent not named Clever Conjurer. Activate only as a sorcery. Uh, with flavor text, I'm always happy to lend a hand. Hee <laughs> hee. Um, so normally when a card references its name, it means this permanent. Um, however, in this context, it's actually talking about any creature named Clever Conjurer. So if Clever Conjurer somehow, uh, loses its name or gets a different name because maybe you mutated a creature on top of it, or you copied it with Lazav or something like that, uh, it's not named Clever Conjurer anymore and it can untap itself. So, untap yourself sounds like something rude you'd say to someone. Yeah, it does, especially with your mage yeah, hand. Don't I'm gonna, I'm gonna untap myself with my mage hand. <laughs> oh wait! All right. Oh, nat twenty again. Five. All right. So, what's your choice? All right, I'll do this one. All right, Delina Wild Mage for three and a red. She's a legendary creature, elf shaman. She's a three two. When Delina Wild Mage attacks, choose target creature you control, then roll a d20. So only two on the two options on the table here, one through fourteen, is create a tapped and attacking token that's a copy of that creature, except it's not legendary and it has exile this creature at end of combat. Fifteen through twenty, create one of those tokens, roll again. Ooh. So this card for reasons that are Fairly clear. Um, this card has an update to its oracle text. The roll again bit on the 15 through 20 result is optional because this is because it is possible with Pixie Guide to enter an unbounded, non-deterministic loop. You could just be doing this forever and you will have to sit. You'll, you're required to then sit there until you die. Or That's right, right? It's non-deterministic. So so what happens is, is so pick Pixie Guide, what it does is is it lets you roll an additional dice and then you get to ignore the low the low result the lowest result. So So you could just keep rolling if, and getting better getting better results all every time. Right. So like let's say like the third time you're going to drop three you've got three pixie guides out or two pixie guides out you're going to roll 3d20s and if one of them is 15 to 20 you're going to create another pixie guide and you're going to roll again and now you're going to roll 4d20s. So, yeah, sure, after like six, seven, eight of these things, it's statistically possible to roll all of those dice between 1 and 14, but it's not likely. Well, yeah, and what I'm saying is that you should be required to sit there until you reach old age and wither away if this happens, because you've done this to yourself. The round the round timer <laughs> cannot save you. Uh, well, then... The fate so... is sealed. Yeah, go go into this, and then I, I I have a little bit of a little bit of fuss about this card. What fuss? Or specifically the the specifically the MTR. What's your MTR fuss? Okay, so I'll go ahead and yeah, get go ahead the, and go the ahead fuss and get right the fuss. All right, so I'm going to read the MTR. What the MTR says right now, it says non-deterministic loops, loops that rely on decision trees, probability, or mathematical convergence, may not be shortcut. Okay. This right here with pixie with pixie guides, that is a you know loop like saying like oh, I 
I, I repeat this like 20 times and get 20 pixie guides. That is a non-deterministic loop that, that, or that, that is a loop that relies on probability or mathematical convergence says it may not be shortcut. However, we have a tweet from the policy guy that basically says, ah, like after a while, it basically becomes one. So just state how many times you go. So we've got the policy guy saying, ah, it's fine. And then we have the policy doc saying, no, it isn't. Well, now that is interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I understand it's it's generally generally speaking when we're talking about like the non-deterministic loops like the four horsemen and stuff like that we're ending up in a particular trying to end up in a particular board state like a combination of cards in a particular manner and then the other cards don't really matter but they still have to have a definition but yeah this is you know we have we have a sentence that says no you can't do it and then we have direction that's just like eh, yeah it's fine in this one case I feel like if you ever have a situation where the document says one thing and a guy says a different thing, go with the guy thing because a guy can come find you and yell at you. The The document cannot yell at you. Well, I, I generally rely on the document instead of some random dude. In this case, it's not some random no, not, dude. No, not it's any the guy. guy tra- the guy. <laughs> yeah, it's capital if T. the guy says, then yeah. <laughs> right. You know, there's a little bit of a difference between the guy and the, the guy. The guy. Yeah, that's, there's, a, there's a little bit more spin on that one. All right. All right, what, so, what else did we have to say about Delina, Delina? You declare which player or planeswalker the token is attacking as you put it on the battlefield. It doesn't have to be the same as Delina. Cool. Even though a token is attacking, it was never declared as an attacker. Oh, so yes, that is important. So effects that care about, you know, like creatures that attack this turn, they when it says a creature, you know, creature, untapped creatures that attack this turn, it cares about creatures that were declared as an attacker. So even though it attacked, it didn't attack. Got it? Clear the as mud. <laughs> right. This is consistent. All right. Next up, let's do this roll. 18. Six. Please? What you doing? That's your turn. All right. Den of the Bugbear. And to a lesser degree, Hall of Storm Giants. But Den of the Bugbear is a land that says if you control two or more other lands, Den of the Bugbear enters the battlefield tapped. Okay, You tap it, add a red mana, and then for three and a red until end of turn, Den of the Bugbear becomes a 3-2 red goblin creature with, whenever this creature attacks, create a 1-1 red goblin creature token that's tapped and attacking. It's still a land. Okay, so you can use its last ability that turns it into a creature, you can turn that land into an ability. You can turn that land into a ability. You can turn that land into a creature, the turn it comes into play. But if you do that, you can't tap it for mana because it's summoning sick. Okay. Its tummy still hurts. Its tummy. It's, it's got a rumbly and it's tumbly. If you activate the last ability twice, it's going to have two instances of whenever this creature attacks. So when it does attack, you will get two goblins. Spicy. Yep. Now, Hollow Storm Giant, very, very similar. If you control two or more lands, it enters the battlefield tapped. Uh, if you tap four, if you, you can tap it for blue, and then it's got five and a blue until end of turn. Hollow the Storm Giants becomes a 7-7 seven, seven blue giant creature with ward three. So if you activate this twice, it's going to get ward twice, and each ward will trigger separately. Yep. Very cool. Let's All right. For Mr. Let's or Mrs. Roll. or... Our friend here, Abendeth. 
I got, I got a, a six. All right. All right. Abin Death, Dracolich. I will do this one. Two black black. Legendary creature, zombie dragon. It's a five two. Flash flying. Ebon Death, Dracolich enters the battlefield tapped. You may cast Ebon Death, Dracolich from your graveyard if a creature not named Ebon Death, Dracolich died this turn. The last ability only car the the last ability only cares if a creature not named Ebendeth dies this turn. It could have happened before or after Ebendeth ended up in the graveyard. It does not matter. He also cares about what the creature's name was on the battlefield. So a clone of Ebendeth dying is a creature named Ebendeth. Yeah, only only cares about the creatures as they as they were on the battlefield. This was this was the card when we did the last recording. I did this one, and I started. Ha- I was having trouble saying Evan Death Dracolich's Dracolich's name. I you had you had such a hard time with that that I put every ounce of focus I had onto pronouncing this correctly because I knew I would not hear the end yeah. of it because I think I made fun of you last time. You did. So I I you couldn't. I, I absolutely had to nail it. I had to stick the landing on yeah. this one. Um. All right. So let's roll for fighter class. I got an eighteen. I got a fifteen. Fifteen. I think I did every single every single class last time. So you're doing classes this time. Okay, that's. I think I did sorcerer class. Yeah, I think you got one. Fighter class. Fighter class for red and white is an enchantment class. The level one ability is when the fighter class enters the battlefield, search your library for an equipment card, reveal it, put it into your hand, and shuffle. Okay, cool. The level two ability for one red and a white. Uh, equip abilities you activate cost two less to activate. Now, this ability, this affects only the generic cost, not any colored mana. So when we talked about bard, bard reduced colored mana. This one's reducing colorless. All right. Then the third ability, whenever a creature you control, sorry, the level three ability for three red and a white, whenever a creature you control attacks up to one target creature blocks this combat if able. Okay, so for the third level ability, if the target is tapped or there is some other restriction preventing it from blocking, uh, it doesn't block. Okay, uh, if there is a cost associated with blocking, the controller isn't forced to pay. Okay, you can't you can't force somebody to pay a cost. If the last ability, that third ability, somehow triggers twice in the same combat. A single creature may end up being required to block more than one creature. Okay, in that particular case, what you have to remember is is you have to satisfy the most requirements you can while not violating any restrictions. Okay, the requirement is it's got to block. Uh, one, uh, it's got to block this combat if able. Uh, its controller will be able to choose which attacking creature to block, since either way it's satisfying one requirement. Okay. Makes sense. Because yeah. it says it says it, uh, the one target creature blocks it, this combat available, it being the attacking creature. Yep. All right. Next up. Rolling for Grandmaster yep. Flowers. Yeah. I hope I win this one. I got an eight. And I got a natural one. I got a natural oh. one. You want me to pitch this one to you? You can You can have Mr. Flowers. I, I mean, I rolled, I rolled a, a, a crit fumble, man. All right. I'm taking flowers from you. All right. Two white white for a legendary planeswalker, Bahamut. So first up, we have a static ability, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. As long as Grandmaster of Flowers has seven or more loyalty counters on him, he's a 7-7 seven, seven dragon god creature with flying and indestructible. Um, his loyalty starts at three, and he's got a 
plus one ability, target creature without first strike, double strike, or vigilance, can't attack or block until your next turn. There is another plus one ability. Search your library and or graveyard for a card named Monk of the Open Hand. Reveal it and put it into your hand. If you search your library this way, shuffle. I think you were telling me that, that the little birds in the art here are, are gold dragons. That's cool. Yeah. Yep. So why do they look like birds? Because what happens is, is uh, in in older editions, maybe in 5th edition too, like a, a big thing about like the uh, the metallic dragons is they polymorph into, into humans or other animals and they just kind of like chill on the plane like they might run a bar or be a ruler of a city or something like that. And Bahamut is the god of the good dragons. Aww. He's basically the opposite of Tiamat. So the good dragons kind of he just has his entourage. I want that life. So, I got I, I, I'm yeah. I'm sitting here doing this when I could have had a dragon entourage and be the grandmaster of flowers. I want that life. Yeah, that it's rules. pretty sweet. So I'm going to I am you in the Skype chat, uh, the Wikipedia entry for Bahamut. I would like you to look at the art picture of what Bahamut looked like in first edition and tell me if he doesn't look doofy as I'll get out. I'm ready for some doofiness. Mm-hmm. Does he look more or less doofy than Nicol Bolas's first appearance? Uh, about the, uh, a little doofier, but about Ooh, the same. That is some serious doofiness. <laughs> oh, yep. you're in my Facebook chat. Let me, let me pull this up here. Oh, yeah, that's or no, that's, it. that's real doofy. Look at this, look at this, like, it military is. mohawk. He's got it high and tight. He, he, it looks like he barfed out his tongue. Like, it's, it's not their intention. Yeah. Oh, my God. It's pretty, it's pretty I'd be his bad. friend, though. I would. I would still be his friend. Well, yeah. What do you mean, well, yeah? I gotta yeah. be nobody's friend. I would be his friend. Uh, their friend. All right, let's get back to Flowers here. Um, while Flowers is a creature, he is not a planeswalker. He cannot be attacked and, and dealing damage to him while he is a creature doesn't reduce loyalty counters. And he still has the loyalty abilities. That is interesting. That the first ability doesn't use the stack. Um, it's just true the instant that it's true. You can activate the last plus one ability even if there are no cards called Monk of the Open Hand in your deck. If you are attacking, if you are attacking flowers and it somehow becomes a creature mid combat, it is removed from combat. Your creature is attacking nothing and won't deal combat damage. But if blockers haven't been declared yet, Grandmaster of Flowers can block. The thing about removing it from combat is is super interesting. I forgot why that is. It's because what's what's happening is is so if if you control Grandmaster of Flowers and I attack and somehow you increase the number of loyalty counters. So I'm attacking Grandmaster of Flowers and you somehow increase the number of loyalty counters on it so that it's now got seven. I'm no longer attacking your planeswalker. The planeswalker just disappeared. And my creature's just swinging in midair. What is that? <laughs> right. Doesn't so, recognize. No object permanence doesn't recognize it as the same person. The same creature. Yeah, it's just, oh no. And then, and then, right, and then Grandmaster of Flowers, the dragon, can swoop down and block. And I'm like, what? I, I, I was just attacking a dude who liked canaries. <laughs> Some gentleman with a flock of canaries was here, and now I'm being blocked by a dragon. I thought he was easy prey. Tricks and nonsense only to be found here. 
tricks and nonsense indeed. All right, let's roll for Hamapashar. All right. Got a 15. I got a 19. All right. Hamapashar. Is it ruin or rune? Ruin. Rune seeker? Ruin seeker. Oh, it depends on where you're from. If you're from up in the mountains, it's rune. Rune? Rune seeker. Rune. Rune seeker. All right. I like that. Hamapashar rune seeker. For one white blue... Uh, she is a 2-3 human legendary creature human wizard that says room abilities of dungeons you owned trigger an additional time. <laughs> so what this is, is pointing out, or the thing I want to point out with this card is this causes the room ability of the dungeon to trigger twice, not the venturing. So you don't venture, then venture again. It's you venture the one time, and then whatever the effect in the room is, you get that twice. Right. Go ahead, say the thing. Get a room. There you go. There you go. Room. room. Get a room. Room. All right. Let's roll. I just rolled a two. I rolled a one. Yes. All right. I am not doing well. You've got, I've got two natural ones and you've got like two or three crits. So the the D20 I'm using is a D20 that came in a set of the very first uh, like role-play dice set I ever received and it was ever owned it was gifted to me by an ex-boyfriend in high school and I've never really used it for anything but maybe it's saved up some sort of luck until now and <laughs> I, I don't I don't know well, how you much. need to get something out yeah of, get something out of that relationship right certainly certainly it's taken a while but it's finally paid off <laughs> it's finally paying off 17 years later Finally paid off some dividends here. All right, so Inferno of the Star Mounts. For four red red, it is a legendary creature dragon. 6-6. This spell can't be countered. Flying haste. We have an activated ability, just a red. Inferno of the Star Mounts gets plus one plus oh until end of turn. When its power becomes 20 this way, it deals 20 damage to any target. Which I love. I love it so much. So you don't choose a target with the activated ability. It's a reflexive trigger that only triggers when its power becomes 20 through the activated ability. Not just if its power is 20. So you can't overshoot it. Can't use it. It can't. It has to happen through that ability. Mm -hmm. And if its power is somehow already 20 and you pump it, you don't get the trigger. However... If you have a way to decrease the power, you can use the trigger multiple times. Just build it on up, I guess. Yep. Yep. If you have like a way to give it minus one, minus one counters, you can get it to 20, give it a minus one, minus one counter, then activate it again, get it back up to 20, get another minus one, minus one, activate it again, get it up to 20, and you could decimate an EDH table. Tricky, but very cool. I like that. With your overly complicated Inferno of the Star Mounts combo. I get to sit there and watch you do it. Yep. All right. Just rolled a two. An eight. All right. Next card is Long Rest for X green green green. It is a sorcery that says return X target cards with different mana values from your graveyard to your hand. If eight or more cards were returned to your hand this way, your life total becomes equal to your starting life total. Exile Long Rest. Okay, two notes on this. Uh, one, uh, setting your life total to a specific value counts as gaining or losing the appropriate life. So if you're at 40 life and you go down to 20, 
mean, you probably didn't want to cast this, but that would be losing 20 life. And if you're at 10 and you go up to 20, that's gaining 10 life, just having it set. The second thing is, I've heard some people ask, like, well, why is it if eight or more cards are returned to your hand this way? Um, that's because a long rest in D&D is an eight-hour rest, and you get all your hit points back at the end of a long rest. So that broken bone, you, know, you just, get, just get your eight hours and it heals right up. Sleep it off. Spit on it and run a lap. You took a you took a sword to the throat and you've been barely hanging on. Just get just get a good long nappykins in and you're right as rain. Sleep in, watch your favorite Saturday morning cartoons. Good as new. Yeah. Yeah, good as new. Uh yeah, you could even you could even stand watch for a while during your long rest. Makes no sense. Anyway, Ooh. next up. Alright. I got an eight. I got a three. Yes, all right. Magic Missile. One red red for a sorcery. This spell can't be countered. Magic Missile deals three damage divided as you choose among one, two, or three targets. So you divide damage as you cast the spell. Each target must be assigned at least one damage. If the spell gets copied, the number of targets and the division of damage is also copied. But it doesn't have to be the it doesn't have to be the same targets, just the same number and same division of damage. Right. So if you say if you say like target number one's taking two and target number two is taking one, and you make a copy, you will have two targets with that exact same spread. Two and one. Yeah. All right. Well, I like this next. Next one. up, I got a twelve. I got a seven. Yeah. All right. Mimic is for two mana. It is an artifact treasure. That has tap, sacrifice, mimic, add one mana of any color, uh, and then two, just two and activate. Mimic becomes a shapeshifter artifact creature with base power and toughness 3-3 until end of turn. So, yeah, it's a treasure. It's a treasure. So, anything that says, you know, if a treasure enters the battlefield, or all the cards that say if you spend spend mana from a treasure to cast this, mimic counts. Now, (laughs) mimic is a great D&D monster because it basically is just this blobby thing with like these pseudopods that like punch at you but it can disguise itself to look at look like anything if if these appear in any okay. game I get got by them and I will open yeah. every box every treasure every everything until until I get got by one of these and then I will never open anything again for the rest of the game <laughs> okay so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you about a fun first edition monster uh, it's called a wolf in sheep's clothing. Okay. It is, this is, this is hilarious. It is a D and D monster that looks like a tree stump with a bunny sitting on it. <laughs> this is, this is, this is a real, a real thing. Uh, first appeared in expedition to the barrier peaks. It was reprinted in monster manual two in 1983. It is, I'll read you the description. A wolf in sheep's clothing is a vegetable monster that looks lurks in undergrowth or grassy meadowlands, creeping from place to place by pulling with its root tentacles. The body of the tree resembles a tree trunk with a vertical maw full of jagged teeth and eye stalks. It can sprout a growth that resembles a small furry creature to attract prey. So I... <laughs> <laughs> so I made the absolute novice mistake of searching for Google images of this. And yeah. you want some nightmares, folks. They're out there. It's, it's, whoo, these, these are something. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's uh, that is the wolf in sheep's clothing. Holy smokes! What a cool monster, though. Right. Very cool concept. Okay, so if you if you're DMing, look for it. Players, if they haven't been playing for a long time or they don't listen to this podcast, they will not expect it. How could you possibly? You know How could you possibly yeah. expect that? <laughs> Nothing yeah, in nature has ever ex- has ever prepared me to encounter something like that. You're going to put a bunny on a tree stump, and the party druid is going to be like, ooh, I'm going to go cast Speak with Animals so they can talk to the bunny, because that's what druids do. You're going to walk up to it, and, and the tentacles are just going to grab it. It's going to be like, ah, ah, make it stop. I mean, would it would would they actually be be talking to the monster, though? Like, thinking it's a bunny? Oh, my God. No, because it, it'd be like a, well, no, because Speak with Animals, this isn't an animal. It's a monster. Well philosophically brian what would you say is the difference uh between an animal and a monster well well in D D, you have a difference between monsters tend to be fantastical to which i would say an animated tree stump with tentacles that look like rabbits that it dangles like some sort of like hellish anglerfish um anglerfish are hellish anglerfish <laughs> <laughs> but yeah Wolf in sheep's clothing. It's add it to you add it to your game. Judge cast approved. That does rule. Right. Absolutely true. All right. All right. I just rolled a ten for this one. Fourteen. Minimus containimus. <laughs> Minimus containment is two and a white for an enchantment aura. Artifact uh enchant non-land permanent. Okay. Enchanted permanent is a treasure artifact with tap sacrifice this artifact. Uh, add one mana of any color and it loses all other abilities so it basically turns the non-land permanent into a treasure stops being a creature if uh if it's an equipment it's going to become unattached if it's an aura it's gonna it's gonna become it's gonna detach and it's gonna turn into an artifact um if you hit a creature with this and it's got an aura on it the aura might fall off because the permanent's probably not the right type anymore and that's all we got to say about that Alrighty. Rolled a 10. Again. Rolled an 8. Alright, so now we have Mordenkainen's Polymorph. For one and a blue, this is an instant. Until end of turn, target creature becomes a dragon with base power and toughness 4-4 and gains flying. It loses all other creature types. So, layers! Why? Oh my goodness. Okay, yeah, there are a lot of layer things going on here. Copy control, text type, color... Ability power toughness? Yes. Mm-hmm. There's also ability uh you said you said copy control text type color abilities. Yeah. You did okay. And then power toughness last. I feel like the, I I feel like they changed the sub layers in power toughness since last I paid attention. Uh no, it's no, still they, it's still they, uh they add a little bit of a Didn't they like remove or combine two? Oh yeah, the 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 plus one plus one counters versus just... Oh yeah, they did do that. Uh, uh, where if it got like plus three, plus three until end of turn, and like uh, plus one, plus one counter. I guess yeah, they because mushed those two la- sub layers together. It didn't really matter, except in like one weird case involving um, Skullbriar, which had like you know it kept its plus one, plus one artif- uh, plus one, plus one counters in like the graveyard. What? Yeah, Skull. Uh, I think it's Skullbriar. Yeah, Skullbriar the Walking Grave. It's a 1-1 zombie elemental. 
counters remain on Skullbriar as it moves to any zone other than the player's hand or library. That is sick. Yeah. That's, I didn't know that existed. That's a cool card. It's one of the, it's one of the OG Oh, it's a commander, commander card. Cards. That's why I don't know about it. It is a commander card. Every yeah. every time we talk, you right. convince, I, I get more convinced to play commander. Commander is, if you play with the right people, it is the best format. If you play with the wrong people, it is the worst format. And you'll have to come up with your own definition for right and wrong. The cards in there are just cool. They really do <clears throat> do some absolutely neat yeah. stuff. So Right. And you get to play with crap that you can't play otherwise. <laughs> Quite the variety. Right. I've got an Arcades uh, the Strategist deck that's just a bunch of crappy walls. And then like a $300 mana base. <laughs> the Strategist. It's, it's like, right. Yeah, it's it's like it's like ten dollars in cards, and then three hundred dollars in oh, mana. Oh, that's a strategy, all right. Yeah. Um. All right. So, we're, did you want to do something specific about Mordekaimen, or are we ready to move no, on? Not really. The layers right. matter. Pay attention to them. Okay. Uh, I got a two. I got a nine. All right. Do you want to take it or punt? I'll take it. Precipitous drop for two and All a black. Right. Enchantment aura. Enchant creature. When precipitous drop enters the battlefield, venture into the dungeon. Enchanted creature gets minus two, minus two. It gets minus five, minus five instead, as long as you've completed a dungeon. So there's one of those cards that cares that you, you have completed the dungeon. The U in the last ability is the controller of precipitous drop, not the controller of the creature it's enchanting. So take responsibility for your own okay. precipitous drop. Yes. All right. Rolling for rally maneuver. 16. 14. All right. Rally maneuver for two and a white is an instant. Target creature gets plus two, plus, uh, plus two, plus O, oh, and gains first strike until end of turn. Up to one other target creature gets plus zero, plus two, and gains lifelink until end of turn. All right. So when you cast this spell, you cannot target the same creature twice. Okay, so you can't give a creature plus two, plus two, first strike, and lifelink. Okay, now, you don't have to target a second creature, because it says up to one other target creature. So you don't have to target a second creature, but the first one is the one that's going to be getting the plus two, plus O, and first strike. Okay? Correct. And that's realistically all there is about that. If you do target two creatures, and then one of them becomes an illegal target, the other one is still going to get its appropriate effect. I suppose that is true. Right. Yeah. Yep. All right. Four. A five. Oh, a, five, a four. Five gets it. All right. Ranger class for one and a green. When Ranger class, uh, it is an enchantment class. Its level one ability is when Ranger class enters the battlefield, create a two, two green wolf creature token. For one and a green, you can go up to level two. Uh, whenever you attack, put a plus one, plus one counter on target attacking creature. Uh, it's level three ability is three and a green. You may look at the top card of your library at any time, and you may cast creature spells from the top of your library. All right. Um, so the level. That's it. What's sick. that? It is. It's this is probably my favorite class. Um, the level two ability, which is the whenever you attack, put a plus one plus one counter on target attacking creature. That's going to trigger at most once per combat. It's not based on the number of creatures you attack with. All right. And the level 3 ability, which is you may look at the top card of your library at any time, that lets you look at the top card of your library at any time, irrespective of priority. It does not use the stack. You can just lay it out whenever you want. There is an exception, though. 
if the top card of your library changes while you are casting a spell, okay, or playing a land, or activating an ability, you can't look at the next card, the new top card of your library, until that other action is done. And I think that's because they don't want, in the middle of casting a spell, you to be able to look at the top card of your library, and then maybe that influences your decision of what you're doing. I think you should be allowed to because I think that rules, but they didn't ask my opinion, which is probably yeah. for the best. And it's it's so awkward. There's probably like the game falls like something something important falls apart and it probably involves like panglacial worm or something stupid. Good point. Good but point. no. No. It's or library of lang or one of those obnoxious cards. So, anyway, all right, let's roll. I got a 14. A 3. Okay, I definitely want to talk about this card. Ray of All Frost right. for one and a blue. This, you don't like this card, do you? I don't. Um, and here's why. Okay. Um, it's an enchantment aura, flash, enchant creature. When Ray of Frost enters the battlefield, if enchanted creature is red, tap it. Boo. As long as enchanted creature is red, it loses all abilities. Boo. Enchanted creature doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. See, that's just so hateful on my red deck. <laughs> that's just so hateful <laughs> on all my red decks. This this feels like a personal attack a little bit. Anyway, though, some people will probably really like this. On so on losing all abilities. If the if the red creature has a CDA that specifies the power of toughness, that ability would be removed and it wouldn't then have a power and toughness. That's so odd. That's odd. A creature without a power and toughness. Yeah, that goes to the graveyard. It dies. I suppose it must. If a non-creature permanent becomes a creature due to a static ability they have, and the creature is not red or becomes red, it will be a creature despite losing the ability that made it a creature due to layers. That's a lot of words. That's a lot of words. Due to the old layers. Can you you kick up an example? No. (laughs) What? know any magic cards are you crazy what just use uh use grandmaster flowers oh grief okay so yeah so we we talked about if grandmaster flowers became red through what was our example chaos lace the chaos lace a, a very a yes, very commonly the... used card <laughs> chaos laced it remains a creature is because it the the layer at which it turns into a creature is layer copy and control text type. That would be layer four. And oh grief. So losing abilities would be layer copy and control text type. Color abilities. Layer six. So the creature uh-huh. the creature stuff happens before we get to the add remove abilities part, so it, it just gets to stay a creature. And isn't that cute? A five. I a one. Alright. Sheshra <laughs> Death's Whisper. What? Is that not how you pronounce it? Shes- Shishra? Shesra. What did Shesra. I say? What did you Shesra. say? There's only one I'm... SH. Shes. Shesh. It's Shesra. not Shesher Cat. Shes. Shesh. Shesra. Oh, never mind. Close enough. Good job, Brian. Good job. You got it. What? Shesra. That's it? Yep. You got it. But that's what it said first time. It's wrong this time, too, but we'll Shesh- let you. Shesra? Shesh. Oh, my God. <laughs> Whatever makes you happy in your heart, Brian Trilliman. Sheesh. You know what? We're going to call her Sheeshra. Sheesh. 
Uh, Death's Whisper for two black and a green. She's a 1-3 legendary creature, human elf warlock. I guess a human elf, that'd be a half elf. With bewitching whispers. When Shesra... Yes! Death's... Oh, that's Got just awkward. Shishra. Uh, Death's Whisper enters the battlefield. Target creature blocks this turn if able. And then whispers of the grave at the beginning of your end step. If a creature died this turn, you may pay two life if you do draw a card. All right. So if a creature affected by the bewitching ability is tapped or affected by a spell or ability that says it can't block, then that then that creature doesn't block. Okay. Yeah. Uh, if there's a cost associated with that creature blocking its controller isn't forced to pay the cost, so it doesn't have to block. Okay, so that's basically setting up a blocking requirement. Uh, the last ability, the Whispers of the Grave ability, only triggers once during your end step, even if multiple creatures died. So five creatures died, still only happens once. And there is there's no way to cause a creature to die during the end step and have it cause Whisper of Grave to trigger because Whispers of the Grave is an intervening if clause. So at the beginning of your upkeep, if a creature has died this turn, it's going to check at that particular point when it goes on the stack. And if a creature hasn't died yet, it doesn't go on the stack at all. All right. Rolling for Sorcerer class. I got a three. Nat 20. Nat 20. All right. Yeah. You keeping it or or am I doing uh, Sorcerer class? No, I'm doing Sorcerer class. This is my second least favorite class in (laughs) D&D. After well, the warlock. give it the business. I hate the warlock. I'm gonna hate. I hate the warlock class. Okay, for blue and a red, it is an enchantment class. When sorcerer class enters the battlefield, draw two cards, then discard two cards. Okay, level two ability. You go up to level two with a blue and a red. It says creatures you control have tap, add blue or red. Spend this mana only to cast instants or sorcery spells or to gain a class level. Level 3 ability, getting up to level 3, costs you 3 blue and a red. It says whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, that spell deals damage to each opponent equal to the number of instants and sorcery spells you've cast this turn. Alright, so all the complexities in the level 3 ability. Let me read that again. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, that spell deals damage to each opponent equal to the number of instants or sorcery spells you've cast this turn. So it's always going to do at least one. Level 3 ability, it's going to count the number of spells that were cast before the ability resolves. So it's not like Storm, where Storm counts the number of spells that had been cast prior to it this turn. This is just, so if you cast a spell and then you cast like other spells, when this thing goes to resolve, it's going to see all those all those uh, instants and sorceries that have been cast that turn. All right. It would and it would it would count even Co- the ones on the stack above it, right? Nice. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So copying a spell won't count for the level 3 ability, okay? Because you're not actually casting the copy. However, some effects will say will let you copy a card and then let you cast the copy. And that cast copy will both cause the trigger, okay? And count towards the count of how much damage that uh, uh, that you get to do. Now, here's one other weird thing. It's the spell dealing the damage, not sorcerer class. So we've got this weird situation where if the spell that caused that third level ability to trigger is countered or leaves the stack, we're going to use what's called last known information to determine the effects of the damage. Okay, like you look at the source to see what color it is, you look at the abilities. Where this is particularly relevant is... If that spell 
had lifelink or death touch, the damage coming from that source, uh, even if the spell's countered, the damage coming from that source is also going to be lifelink or death touch. Pretty cool, huh? Amazing. Yeah. That, that seems it like that almost... seems like it ought to be impossible, but here we are. Yeah. That is I mean, that, that's a pretty cool... That is a pretty cool thing. Uh, I wish actual sorcerers in D&D uh, lived up to the hype of their class card. Okay. Yeah. So I got, a, I got a joke for you before we roll in this okay. next card. Okay. How many Call of Cthulhu investigators... Call of Cthulhu is another uh, tabletop RPG. How many Call of Cthulhu investigators does it take to change a light bulb? How many, Brian? All of them never split the party. Some wisdom. Ex- right. A joke and some yes. wisdom. Yes, absolutely. All right. Rolling. Roll. Um, I got a six. I got an 11. All right. The next card that we're going to talk about is Split the Party. Uh, the flavor text is don't. Don't. As someone who occasionally DMs, don't split the party. It's, it's oh. So Split the Party is three blue blue for a sorcery. Choose target player. Return half the creatures they control to their owner's hand. Round up. The player that controls Split the Party gets to choose which creatures are returned to the owner's hand as it resolves. That's really all that's important is the question of who gets to, who gets to choose. It's the person that casts split the split the party. Yeah, don't, don't do, do it. it. All right, rolling. I got a five. Eleven. Eleven. I'm gonna let you yes. do this one. All right, the book of exalted deeds. White, white, white for a legendary artifact. At the beginning of your instep, if you gained three or more life this turn, create a three-three white angel creature token with flying. And looks like we have an activated ability. White, 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 tap. Exile the Book of Exalted Deeds. Put an enlightened counter on target angel. It gains you can't lose the game and your opponents can't win the game. Activate only as a sorcery. Um, Didn't this like already get banned in some formats or something? I think I heard. Yeah. Struck down in its prime. It's a standard 2022 on Arena. Didn't stand a chance. It's an arena-only format. Gotcha. Which we can talk about it with the last point. That's super interesting. All right, so the the, the Enlightenment counter is a memory aid. You The can't-lose-the-game ability isn't tied to it. Interesting. So this is good with Mutavault or maybe some other land that can, that can briefly animate into a creature. Specifically an angel. That's super interesting. Yeah, that's that's a neat strategy. I like that. Yeah, and that's that's actually why it got banned in standard 2022. And so I'm, I'm going to be talking about this. Not a not an expert on it, but apparently that format it's arena only. It's a best of one format, okay. And there's a land from Kaldheim that you can animate, and when you animate it, it has Changeling. Ooh, so, I or, see. Or not, or not actually Changeling. It's just it gets all creature types. So it's an angel. You activate this ability. And then it becomes a land again at the end of turn, keeps this ability. So it's kind of hard to deal with. So in a best of one format. It steamrolls people, I bet. Right. Well, you, you can't have sideboards and it's really, really easy to get. And if you have two people, both of the, the can't lose the game and they're just staring at each other, you know, emoting on MTG Arena with your four emotes or five emotes where you're just like, nice. And then they go and end their turn. Nice. It's just, <laughs> just nice at each it's other. Just, yeah, it's just, yeah, just nicing each other for 40 minutes until someone puts a bullet in their head. A worthwhile interaction overall. Just nice. Yeah. The, yes. Yes. 
Yep. All right. Rolling for so the next book. Rolling for the next book. Ten. Fourteen. All right. The Book of Vile Darkness is black, black, black for legendary artifact. At the beginning of your end step, if you lost two or more life this turn, create a 2-2 black zombie creature token. And then tap Exile the Book of Vile Darkness and artifacts you control named Eye of Vecna, Hand of Vecna, to create Vecna, a legendary 8-8 black zombie god creature token with indestructible and some errata. So the printed card says uh, an 8-8 black zombie creature token with indestructible, period. It gains all triggered abilities on of the exiled card. The errata is... Black zombie god creature token with indestructible and all triggered abilities uh, of the exiled cards. Why that little that little and is important instead of ending the sentence is the old wording. If you create when you create it, you'd create it. You'd create the black zombie god. It would end up on the battlefield. Then it would gain all triggered abilities of the exiled cards. Which, if those exiled cards had an enter the battlefield trigger, you wouldn't get it. So by changing it to and, the gaining all the triggered abilities are part of the effect that creates the token. So when it enters the battlefield, it has those abilities. A little extra bonus there. Okay. Yep. Now, here's an even weirder thing. It's possible to have something that's a copy of an eye or a hand of Vecna. Or the book. Like, uh... You know, just something that can, like, copy artifacts. So let's, let's, you know, uh, there's a uh, an is it artifact from Ravnica that it's an artifact that lets you copy other artifacts until end of turn. Um, Vecna, so you could use that to copy an eye of Vecna, and then when you exile these things, you're going to exile the copy of Vecna, okay? And in that particular case, Vecna, the token that's created is going to look at the cards in exile to determine what triggered abilities he has so it's possible for vecna to have different triggered abilities than what's on just the hand iron book hmm. now i'm going to tell you a, a fun little story about vecna uh this was going around in circulation in like the mid 90s so the uh the eye of vecna is a powerful artifact and the hand of vecna again powerful artifact Lots of magic powers, but they're kind of cursed. The way you use a hand of Vecna is you cut off your hand, and then you hold the hand of Vecna to the stump, and then it, like, grafts on you, and you've now got the the hand of Vecna. The eye, same way. you got to pluck out your own eye. What do you, what do you okay. get in exchange for doing this? Why, why would you want to do this? Uh, give me a second, and I will tell you what you get with the it's eye of Vecna. have some great benefits. Uh, the properties, the Eye of Vecna and the Hand of Vecna each have the following random properties. So they get a minor beneficial property, a major beneficial property, and then a minor detrimental property. So those you get to you get to roll those at random. With the Eye, oh, your alignment changes to neutral evil. Uh. And you gain True Sight. You can use an action as if you were wearing a ring of X-ray vision. You become evil and get X-ray vision? That's awful! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can do you can cast disintegrate and dominate monster. So it sounds 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 like a deal. You just become, you know, evil. It's no big no big whoop. You can just um, do that without so, losing a hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all it's all fine. Well no, this is just the eye. So um so the story from the mid nineties is called The Head of Vecna. 
Okay, and it's a story about... Um, I'm going to try to see if I can remember this. A party is adventuring, and the DM throws them up against, like, there's just a head on a pike with a little sign that says, like, Head of Vecna. And the party's just like, oh. And so they know the eye. you got to pluck out your eye and put the eye of Vecna in to get the powers of the eye. And they know for the hand of Vecna, you got to cut off your hand. So obviously with the head of Vecna, what do you got to do? Not it. Yeah. So the party then starts to argue about who's going to get decapitated and, and the head of Vecna put on him. And it's like the fighter. So they argue for like 10 minutes to who's going to lose their head. So then finally they cut the head off of the fighter. And then they begin to argue as to whether or not they're actually going to put the head of Vecna on the guy. And so when they try to, nothing happens. Obviously nothing happens. Um, so then they're like, hmm, maybe we waited too long for it to take effect. So then they decide to cut off the head of one of the other party members and they try and put the head on right away and it doesn't work. And just tabletop RPGs in the 90s were, were cute. <laughs> You know, like like people hadn't completely gotten savvy to a lot of the tropes yet. But yeah, that was a that was a story going around um the early days of the internet. Uh, I have a lot of follow up so yeah, questions that's... that I will not be asking on air. <laughs> All right. Mm. Other other Yep, Never move mind. along. All right, let's roll for <laughs> the deck okay. of many things. All right. Deck of many things. Oh Nat twenty. Nat twenty, okay. That's good. That's good with the deck. That is good. It's funny enough. Um, the deck of many things. It's five generic for a legendary artifact. And yeah, so here we go with rolling dice. So for two, two and a tap, activated ability, roll a d20 and subtract the number of cards in your hand. If the result is zero or less, discard your hand. Rough. Um, so one through nine, return a card at random from your graveyard to your hand. 10 through 19, draw two cards. 20, put a creature card from any graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. When that creature dies, its owner loses the game. So get it, yeah. So because you subtract the cards in your hand, it, it will be very challenging to get the result of 20, but very cool if you do. Deck of Many Things is another one of these artifact level magic items in D&D in &D that it's like a 50-50 split between... It's a bunch of random effects, and it's a 50-50 split between, like, really good... Well, well, I was going to... Wait, actually, did, did say, you say this is the one that, like, the, yeah. the good stuff is like, oh, that's pretty good, and the bad stuff is just catastrophic? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's basically... It's a 50-50 split between good and bad, but the bad stuff is so much worse than the good stuff is good. You know, like, the good stuff is like, you gain a level. That's probably, like, one of the best, is you gain a level. Okay, cool, I gain a level. Great. But the opposite of that, the counterbalance for that is your soul is sucked from your body and sent to a plane in the abyss where it is guarded by something terrible. And nobody knows where it is. Or, like, you just die. Or, you know, an avatar of death shows up and you have to fight it. And if you, if you don't, you die. You know? And even the good one where it's like you gain a level, it's you have to defeat the next encounter without help. Ugh. And th and if you do, you gain a level. Yeah, no thanks. Right. No uh, thanks. Another one of the bad ones is just, like, you lose all your sh stuff. Like, all your magic items, all your money. I'm, I'm way too risk-averse for this kind of nonsense. I, I couldn't possibly. Let's let's roll for, for my guy here, the boy. Ch chunky boy. 
I got a nine. I also got a nine. Reroll. All right, roll off. Oh, that one. Oh, sweet. All right. This is the Tarask. The, not the, the Tarask. The Tarask. It is a. It is a. It's a big old legendary creature dinosaur. For six green, 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 it is a ten, ten. Oh, the Tarask is one of the legendary creatures in D and D. It's. It is a. It's a party killer. It's like that big optional boss in Final Fantasy. You know the Final Fantasy games where you just find like the bosses that are like you know prove it, prove yourself. You can beat them. That's this thing. All right, let's see what it does. The Tarask has haste and ward ten. As long as you, as long as it was cast. All right. Okay. Sure. Sure. The ward ten is like a. It's in D and D. It's got like this reflective carapace that like sends magic back. So that's that's probably what the ward ten is. Okay. And then whenever the Tarask attacks. It fights target creature defending player controls. Whenever Tarisk attacks, whenever the Tarisk attacks, it fights target creature defending player controls. When it rises, nations fall. This thing has a stomach that you can, like, drop artifacts in and it will digest the artifacts, the, the items made by the gods. And it's just, it's just a... It's just a chunky dinosaur. This is what Frodo doesn't should drop the ring in. Yeah, it doesn't even trample. You'd think it would. Yeah, it, I, I agree. It, it all had, I'm, I was expecting keyword soup. It does have one neat interaction that has come up since the pre-release with how this interacts with mutate. So if you cheat a Tarisk out, it doesn't have haste or ward 10. But if you cast a creature with mutate and mutate onto the Tarisk, well, when the the Tarisk has that the, the the merged permanent or the 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 combined permanent has all the abilities, so it has haste and ward as long as it was cast. Was this permanent cast? Hey. Yeah, the mutate the mutate was so it can actually gain the the haste and the ward ten via a mutate. <sighs> all right, let's all right, roll. rolling for treasure roll. chest three. seven. I'm gonna let you take this one. Excellent treasure chest three for an artifact. So first up, we have a activated ability here, a uh, four sacrifice treasure chest, roll a d20. So the first, the first option here for a one is trapped, flavorful. You lose three life. If you roll a two through a nine, create five treasure tokens. 10 through 19, you gain three life and draw three cards. And the 20, search your library for a card. If it's an artifact card, you may put it onto the battlefield. Otherwise, put that card into your hand, then shuffle. On the last ability, the otherwise is whether you put the card onto the battlefield, not whether you searched for an artifact card or not. Say okay. clarification. Neat. You don't need to reveal the card you searched for. You can keep that to yourself. That's your business. All right. Next up. Next up. 16. Uh, 16. Okay. I rolled a three, so go for it. I'll take it. True Polymorph for four generic blue-blue. It's an instant. Target, ar target artifact or creature becomes a copy of another target artifact or creature. Um, there is no duration on this. It's permanent. Woof. Yeah, that's that on that. True Polymorph causes the first target to copy the printed values of the second target. That includes any mutate effects. Okay. Yeah, if either target is illegal for True Polymorph, when it resolves, the spell will do nothing. Kind of a bummer, but this that is, makes sense. Yep. Zip polymorph, it does nothing. 
Can't do things it can't do. All right. Let's do it again. Rolled a 12 for Wild Shape. Six, 16. All right. Wild Shape. Wild Shape is a classic druid ability in D&D that lets you turn into uh, beasts of various sorts. A spider, a cat, a dolphin after certain levels. So Wild Shape is an instant for green. Choose one. Until end of turn, target creature you control has that base power and toughness and uh, becomes that creature type and gains that ability. It's a nice Oxford comma there. Yeah. Um, so you get to choose between a 1-3 turtle with hexproof, a 1-5 spider with reach, a 3-3 three, three elephant with trample. Okay. So the target and mode are both chosen when casting. So it's not like you're targeting a creature and then you get to decide whether it's going to be a turtle, spider, or elephant on resolution. You got to choose the mode on uh, on casting. Uh, and the creature is going to lose all of its other creature types, but will retain its abilities. So if it's a that's a zombie, nope, it's going to be a spider, not a spider zombie, just a spider. If it's um, a sand. Because, you know, the sand's a creature type. So if it's sand. a sand, nope, it's going to become an elephant. Sand? Yeah, sand. Creature type? Yeah, it's a creature type of sand. Suspicious. Nah, it's, you got to go way, way back. It's a, it's a Legends card that when it enters the battlefield, it creates uh, okay. sand, sand warrior tokens. Okay, all right, so, I see. Yeah, okay, if you go that far back, there, there's a lot of weird... Is that like Uncle Ivan or something? There's something weird. Uncle Istvan. Yeah, Uncle Istvan. Is, isn't he like yeah. a creature type or something peculiar? Uh, not know. anymore. He's like a human or something now. But yeah, he used to be like summon Uncle summon Uncle Istvan. <laughs> That's the good stuff right there. That's the magic yes. we're all here for. Yes. All right. All right. So rolling roll again for the next guy. We got 12. I got 12. 19. For, uh, for Xanathar. Did you want to do Xanathar? I'm a little excited about Xanathar. All right, go ahead and do this. All right, Xanathar, Guild Kingpin. He, it's, it's a something. A four blue-black, legendary creature, Beholder. It's a five-six. At the beginning of your upkeep, choose target opponent. Until end of turn, that player can't cast spells. You may look at the top card of their library anytime. You may play the top card of their library, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast spells this way. Sick. Um, I I learned through the course of reading and talking to you about D and D stuff that I I thought that the beholders <laughs> were like dumb animals. I didn't realize they were smart. I didn't realize they had like crazy. Smart. Apparently, they're not just smart. They're like smart, smart. Um, and apparently, Xanathar has a pet goldfish, which I would love to know more about. Why a gold? If you're that smart, why a goldfish? I don't. Why not a goldfish? Because I. What's, what's a goldfish do? I look. There's there's smart people that like cats. So cats are awesome. Like, so like someone super intelligent can like a goldfish. You know. Mm. I mean, yeah, maybe they can. I don't know. Goldfish are not for me, but I respect that they are for other people. Silgar, Silgar, I think is the name of the goldfish. The only creature that the beholder loves. And, oh, okay, well, oh, with, with a, that here, one line, you've completely on. sold my heart on this. That's really Hang sweet. on, hang on, hang on. It gets even better. In fact, there have been many Silgars over the years, but Ott, I guess that's a henchman, is skilled at acquiring and replacement before Xanathar realizes his beloved pet has died. So basically, there's just oh a, a, a henchman that 
like treats Zithar like a child like you know when the the kid has the fish that dies they just get a new fish that is the cutest that's a little sad but also so endearing okay yeah i'm sold that's cute that is super cute (laughs) all right so opponents can still cast spells in response to the upkeep trigger at least there's that and if the opponent gains hexproof the ability won't do anything when it tries to resolve Um, Same thing we said earlier about not being able to look at a card while in the middle of casting a spell. Xanathar doesn't change the rules for playing lands or when you can cast spells, so those restrictions are still in place. Also, spending mana as though it were mana of any color is not the same as spending mana of that color. So cards like um, Fire Spout, for example, which is a a sorcery that costs two generic and uh, it's got a hybrid red-green. Yeah, you, you actually have to have... Let's see. Yeah. Any color. Yeah. That is very specific. So, Fire Spout deals three damage to each creature without flying if red was spent to cast Fire Spout, and three damage to each creature with flying if green was spent to cast it. So, you didn't actually spin those, so that's that's rough. Mm-hmm. So, it doesn't do anything. Yeah. So if you, you spend, like, blue-black to cast it, you didn't spend red or green. You didn't actually, you didn't technically actually spin that red and that green, so that's... Yep. Rough times. All right. We got our last our last friend here. All right. 13. Oh, natural one. So unlucky. All right. Zariel, the Archduke of Avernus. Avernus. Um, this is a Planeswalker for two red red with four loyalty. Legendary Planeswalker Zariel. Has a plus one ability. Target creature you control gets plus one plus oh and gains haste until end of turn. Or creatures you control. Uh, has a zero loyalty ability. Create a 1-1 one, one red devil creature token with when this creature dies, it deals one damage to any target. And then a minus six that says you get an emblem with at the end of the first combat phase on your turn, untap target creature you control. After this phase, there is an additional combat phase. All right. So for that emblem, there's no main phase between combats. Okay, so after the first combat phase, there's another combat phase. There's no no main phase in between. Uh, was it the eighth rule of Fight Club? Is if tonight's your first night in Fight Club, you fight. You gotta fight. You gotta fight. All right. Um, the emblem can target any creature, not just one that is tapped. So at the end of your first combat, untap target creature. So you can target a creature that's already untapped. However, if that target is gone. By the time the ability goes to resolve, the triggered ability will not resolve because it is a trigger that has a single target. And if that target gets removed, out of luck. the ability won't resolve. Yep. Now, if you somehow get more than one emblem, each will trigger at the end of your first combat. Okay. And you're going to get two additional combats. So what will happen is the first one will resolve and it'll make an additional combat after, after this phase. Then the second one call comes around and it creates an additional combat after this phase so it kind of pushes that other way it kind of pushes the two combats the one that you're in and the one that you already created it pushes them apart and drops another combat right in between blop and that's how and that's what it sounds like is blop yep it's good that's the sound it makes it was i agree blop. i think so blop yep all right so that's all the cards now we can talk briefly about the tournament rules updates Tournament okay. rules update. These are actually pretty straightforward. They're like, 
oh yeah, we realized that we were still talking about uh, Wizards Event Reporter, even though uh, people have been using uh, Event Link. Event yeah. Link. Rest in peace. Yep. Were. Yep. Oh, interesting thing I learned about Event Link. Uh, apparently, it does not pair the last round of Swiss based on based on rank on standings. What? Yeah, it does it at random, just like so. What? So, yeah. What? <laughs> I know. So, so typically, what happened in the final round of Swiss for like larger events that you care about, it would try and pair the the first place the first place player in the last round of Swiss against the second, the third place against the fourth, the 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 fifth against the sixth, and so on. Right. Kind of tried to do a pair down, and it would only deviate from that if those two players had already played each other. Right. With event link. Event link apparently just eh, just does it random based on match points. That's funny. It's like ah, good enough. Right, which is gonna seriously mess with people trying to do breaker math and like judges trying to watch for collusion and and bribery and stuff like that. So I I ran into an issue over pre-release where if players came in and were like, hey, we signed up for the tournament, and I'm like, okay, let me put you in the tournament during deck building, and they were like, okay, we're taking our, our boxes and leaving, it wouldn't let me drop them from the tournament. It would just would, but even before yeah. pairing round one. So I just had to re- either let people play nobody or yeah. reconstruct the event. And I chose to reconstruct the event because people wanted to play, but like, yeah, that was it was a little rough, yeah. a little rough. Yeah, it just... I'm not a th- I'm not a fan of event link. I I um, am a fan in theory. I think it I I know there's stuff they need to work on and things to hash out, but I I think I think it will be great once it is great. I think it will be great. I do the, wish it weren't web based, but here's 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 the thing. Um, people said the same thing about War. People said the same thing about Walter, and they just don't fix things once it's out. And like people have figured out how to work around it, they're just like ah, good enough. It's it's really like think about think about the problems with uh with were like how long did we want fixed seating in were is nine years we asked for fixed seating in were for nine years I remember first learning about were and and some and like the penalties there was some option where you could like deduce points or something from people i don't it's something really biz- match points yeah something yeah. really bizarre and i was like what is this and everyone was like oh yeah that's that hasn't been a thing in years yeah uh the the penalties in were didn't match the ipg oh yeah that's true too yeah i remember that that was that was a thing they they were wrong after like two years of of were being out it was just like you know, and not to mention like the number of times they just push out something on like a pre-release Friday and it would just break everything. Well, see, that was one of the uh, great parts about were though is that it could be run offline, which does make mm-hmm. me very nervous about Event Link. Is that, and I don't, the internet access yeah. in in Tampa, Florida, in general, just across the board for some reason, seems to be less consistent than anywhere else I've ever lived, and that. I, I like, a I major to, metropolitan area. Well, like I, I've lived in a bunch of major metropolitan areas, and I've never run into problems with Wi-Fi and cell phone service like I have since moving here. I'm just, I'm just saying that you go out to to parts of like you know we're in we're in the South region. You go to parts of Alabama and stuff like that. And like Wi-Fi is going to be even, uh, you know, even spottier. Right. So people in their cell, they're they're you know using the companion app. So anyway, 
join us next time when we talk about how much when we complain about event link. Um, so, but real real quick, the the stuff in the the MTR, they added the section on talking about event link instead of instead of were. They talked about dungeons, which we we pretty much have have covered. Uh, you don't actually need a copy of the dungeon card in able in, in order to venture it. If you need to, you can pull up Gatherer on your phone or draw it out on paper or make your playmat the dungeon. Oh, that's cute. I like you know, that. The dice, they say, you can use any any dice. Like They basically just take a common sense, common sense approach. It's got to have the right number of sides and it's got to be fair. You can use a D12 instead of a D6. You just divide all the numbers in half. You can use a random number generator app. They do say spin down life trackers are prohibited. They're not going to worry about it in casual play, but for competitive rel, they're going to want the numbers to be distributed appropriately. Not only is it about uh, the ease in manipulation, but there's also, since there's a wide array of other randomization efforts, uh, randomization methods that don't have that particular problem, keeping them out just kind of removes any, you know, you're, you're cutting off an angle. They're saving us from ourselves. Yep. Let's see here. We also threw in a quality of life improvement where you don't need to roll any irrelevant dice. If you're supposed to roll two dice and take the higher one and the first one gives you a high enough result, you can just skip rolling the second one, assuming that nothing cares. So if, you, if you're supposed to roll two dice and you roll a 20 on the first die, you can just be like, ah, I don't need to roll a second one. I hadn't even thought Which about that. That makes sense. doesn't seem like a huge deal, but you know someone's going to ask, do I have to roll a second dice? I only brought my one d20. And I don't want to. I don't want to roll a second one. Okay. Um, the next one is uh, the electronic device policy is changing. Previously, you could only use electronic devices at regular rules enforcement level, and they're going to open that up to all rules enforcement levels. Basically, though, so you're going to be able to use it during your matches to keep track of your life total. Use the companion app to report your score. Use dice rollers. You're going to be able to look up your own Oracle text in Gatherer. Uh, but, 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 the screen basically has to be visible at all times. So you can't, like, pick up your phone and it's like, oh, yeah, I'm just looking up the Gatherer text on a card that I'm not letting you know about. Like, you're not going to be able to do that. If you want to do that, you're still going to need to call for a judge if you want to keep it secret what card you're looking up. Also, you're not going to be able to use devices during drafts and limited deck building. Like, there's just... There's no, no reason way. for that. Yeah. Right. IPG didn't have any updates. Technically, the only thing that was really clarified is what happens if you foretell a card and then you don't show it at the end of the game. Okay. Straight so, yeah, straight to jail. So, uh, what happens there is you, when you foretell a card, you pay additional mana, you set the card over to the side. Okay. It's in exile now, and you can cast from exile on a later turn. When you end the game, you are supposed to reveal that card to show, to prove that you could have foretold it. Okay, well, let's say you just mash up your stuff and you forget. Okay, you're supposed to reveal it. You didn't. There's not really a huge advantage to be gained from that. You know, like, you got to kind of work a little hard to construct a situation where foretelling a card that doesn't have a you know, doesn't have foretell is actually kind of advantageous because then when you go to flip it and actually cast it, you're like, oh, it doesn't have foretell. Crap. Like the angle that that cheat angle is pretty rough. You're going to have to come up with something like, well, I know they're playing. I want to protect this card, so I'm going to discard it or or they can cast an instant sorcery from my hand. So I'm going to foretell it so it's not in my hand. 
so that they can't cast it against me and then I just won't reveal it. Eh, eh. The angle is you reveal it and now everyone just feels kind of awkward and bummed out about it. Yeah. Yeah. So what um what that penalty actually is, it's hidden card error, okay? It's a it's an error that the opponent was not able to verify. Um, there is no fix because the set, which was that one card sitting over there to the side, is gone now. So you can't really, like, fix it. So that's that's it. It's just hidden card error, warning, no fix. Move on. And that's it. That's that on there? That's everything. We're done. We're donesies. So, all right. <laughs> all right. That's our episode. Join us next time when we talk about a, a yet, as of yet undecided topic. Until then, you can send us an email at judgecast at gmail.com or like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at judgecast. Till next time, I'm Samantha. I keep it fun. I'm Brian Prillman, and I keep my mimic in my wolf in sheep's clothing. So it becomes oh, a creature. Oh, it does. Okay. Oh, sneaky, sneaky layers. <laughs> that is cute. Okay. <laughs>